1: It is our Monday podcast, and we are not talking about a Florida State loss. However, uh, there's still a, a show to go over. So let's begin there. First off, though, how was your, uh, your weekend, gentlemen, your weekend off?
0: It was uneventful. Yeah.
2: I, took a, uh, I took a little hiatus from the message board on Saturday after the game was canceled and then uh, mm-hmm. returned on Sunday to see all the nonsense. But it was good. It was good. good Went weekend.
1: on. When on Sunday did you return? Because if it was Sunday morning, fine. Sunday evening, though, uh, a little bit of a different dynamic, Josh.
2: Yeah, I was on Sunday morning. A lot of Dabo bashing. A lot of um, acceptance of uh, guys like Dan Wolkin and the USA Today crew. A lot of pioneering of, of guys that we don't really hear a lot from. But then, yeah, the evening turned a little bit different, huh?
1: Yeah, so... Uh, there is obviously a lot to go over since the last time we podcasted, even like we we're going to talk about the ESPN article, but I don't even think there's a need to really get into it because there's so much. It feels there. like it was a month ago. So it's Saturday morning. I'm actually taking my morning BM and Josh called me and I, and, and Josh is one of the few people I'll talk to while pooping. Did you know that Josh? I'll talk to you all on the bathroom, on the stall. Hmm. Anyways. He's like, Chris just sent us this, and it was an email from FSU saying that the Florida State-Clemson game had been postponed. Now, at that point, I'm about to leave for the stadium. I imagine Chris was as well, and that's where it all starts. So, Chris, uh, if you want to fill the people in on, on some of the uh, the gaps in between them, then we can get into my Twitter shenanigans as well. But there's a lot of layers to this, No.
0: Well, FSU announces around 8.45 a.m. on Saturday morning that the game has been postponed. Our first priority is the health of our student-athletes, and I appreciate the protocols that have been put in place by FSU and the ACC to ensure everyone's health while allowing us to play this season, the statement said from head coach Mike Norvell. It's unfortunate that we will not have the opportunity to compete today, but we hope to be able to play Clemson in December. Both teams have an open date on December 12th to add that to the conversation. The quote went on to say, I am thankful for the support and coordination between our administration, Clemson, and the ACC office. Our team will now turn our focus to hosting Virginia next week. Now, here's where it all goes real fun. That last uh, comment about the support and coordination between our administration, Clemson, and the ACC office, it didn't really play out that way. Uh, you know, the, the war of words that began immediately afterwards involving head coach Dabba Swinney, Clemson athletic director Dan Radkovich. Um, Radakovich, is it Radakovich or Radakovich?
1: It doesn't matter how you pronounce his um, name. He gave Paul Johnson a giant contract extension.
0: That comes about. The ACC issues a similar item about the postponement. I'll read real quickly the middle blurb of that. The postponement follows this morning's game conference call at which both teams' medical personnel were unable to mutually agree on moving forward with the game. Both teams continued to adhere to the minimum outlined protocols within the ACC Medical Advisory Group report which is available on the ACC.com with a link to the full report of that ACC medical advisory group report that they've been kind of, that's the backbone of how they're going to play or not play this season. So the story is Clemson has an reserve offensive lineman who shows symptoms during the week, but test negative travels with the team. The final test before kickoff comes back as a positive FSU decides we're not playing because we don't know about contact tracing the possibility of other players on Clemson's team having it, you know, Clemson's already now put this young man into essentially a quarantine, even though he traveled with the team on the plane. FSU's is concerned about it. Now, first thought in my head is FSU played with about 59 players at NC State. They have roughly 60 to 62 guys currently available scholarship wise. You know, if they get eight to 10 down with issues, they're they're. Done. Like they're not gonna play. I think the threshold is 53, if I remember correctly, for the ACC So they're hanging on a territory that's pretty dangerous, but that's where it at. But I'll let Sano kind of take the baton and run with it for the next hundred meters.
1: So the a few details here because uh semantics are going to be a part of this conversation as we saw last night. Uh the narrative that Clemson traveled with a player who had symptoms, Clemson took issue with the player had symptoms earlier in the week. Uh There's some unclarity on whether he practiced earlier in the week or not. I think Clemson said he didn't, but then there's an ESPN article that says he was allowed to practice while wearing masks and visors and maintaining required social distancing away from competition. I'll continue reading the ESPN article here. By the time the team traveled to Florida state on Friday using nine buses for extra distancing, Sweeney said, so they, they bus to Florida state. Is that the, or do they bus to the plane? I
0: presume they're talking to and from planes. I, I can't imagine a bus far away from Clemson.
1: Even then, there's Clemson saying that they're wearing, like guys are wearing multiple masks for safety, but then we see pictures of Clemson on Friday on social media of guys not wearing multiple masks, and I don't even know if that works that way. It's not like wearing two condoms, which don't do people at home. That that doesn't work either. Uh, the Back to the ESPN article, the player was no longer showing symptoms and was allowed to accompany the team to Tallahassee. Once the Tigers arrived, however, test results showed – the player was positive for the virus. There's a Saturday conference call, as Chris said. Uh, they could not reach an agreement on the game. Clemson's doctors thought it was okay to play. FSU said it was unsafe. The game postponed. FSU wants to play on December 12th. Clemson wanted to play this weekend or Monday. This is where we start getting into the, the fires kind of being fueled here. The embers uh, are now burning quite bright. Dabo on Sunday evening basically said the FSU should get the bill for traveling uh, if Clemson were to travel back. Uh, meanwhile, the ACC has been silent more or less, in, in all of this. We'll get to that in a little bit. Whew. All right. I have thoughts on Dabo, but but first, Josh, uh, your perspective from. You're going to put me, you're going to go to me first.
2: Do you want me to go first on it? I don't think I have the most popular opinion. I'd rather have you get your take off and then. Uh, I was going to you know, use you to make my. Myself- everybody wants to live in the bubble where they hear you uh, go in on Dabo. So go ahead.
1: My issue with Dabo Swinney is that he, I feel like I'm setting up for a for a take that someone's going to cut this and, and use it later, which I really hope not. Uh, my issue with Dabo Swinney is he comes off as either negligent or reckless, but more than anything, really a bully. He comes off as someone who is trying to bully FSU into feeling like they should have played this game. When all evidence of like, so so, what's the logic of saying that FSU is ducking this game? Now, I, I know when I heard the news first, I was like, oh, you know, FSU didn't want any of this. They got the out. They're taking the out. But Then you step back and actually apply some some logic to it. All right. One, FSU isn't afraid of getting an ass whoop. And you know why? Because they've gotten their ass whooped all season. Their last five losses are by a combined 130 plus points. Their last three losses to Clemson in the series are by almost 100 points total. FSU isn't afraid of getting its ass kicked. like that, And players don't think that way. Coaches don't think that way. That's not how those guys are wired. I think we think like from objectively, yeah, they're probably going to lose big time. Players go into every game thinking they have a chance to win. That's how those guys are wired. Uh, additionally, you can't convince me that FSU was okay saying no to any of the gate for this game. Uh, and any type of potential revenue that it could have taken when this school just announced potential uh, more budget cuts, uh, more furloughs for this athletic department that's hemorrhaging money and is still in the red uh, to say no to this game uh, because they they didn't want to, they didn't want any of that smoke. That's stupid. The issue is safety. And it's safety in the sense that Chris mentioned, not not that that you are down to about seventy scholarship players, seventy five on the roster, seventy active, probably even less than that. Uh, you know, we know Jordan Travis was dinged up. I don't think that's why the FSU wasn't afraid of Tate Rotemaker going out there. I think it was, you don't want to all of a sudden expose yourself to a team that showed that they weren't taking the best measures. They're saying they followed the ACC protocol. Well, they didn't follow Florida state's protocol and the safety that Florida state felt like it had for its players. Uh, so basically all these guys are going to be potentially potentially now exposed to COVID. And when you're already down to about 55 to 70 players active per week. Uh, if that number gets kept by 10, then either one, uh, you're able, unable to play the remaining games in the season, or two, if you do have enough to play, the depth is so dwindled and, and significantly uh, maligned that you expose depth issues and, and injury issues in the course of a game. So there's safety long-term in, in a couple of ways, both COVID-related and then just playing football. Uh, so for Dabo Sweeney to then come out and say, this wasn't a COVID reason why FSU didn't want to play, they used COVID as the excuse that's bull- uh, and this isn't the first time he spoke out of his ass uh, on any type of social issues and showed some sort of irresponsibility uh, either with the pandemic, with a bunch of players getting in the off season, allowing Trevor Lawrence to be on the sideline for Notre Dame, when I believe pretty sure I should double check. This was still within that 10 day window of testing positive. Uh, there's multiple things that he's shown a, a lot of irresponsibility on and gets a pass because he's, ah shucks, Dabo. But no, man, like you're a grown-up and you're trying to make another school feel bad, another entity feel bad for not wanting to and absorb that risk because you guys allowed a player who showed symptoms earlier in the week to then travel with the team. And then try to say, oh, the contact tracing was going to be Sunday or Monday. We could play the game and get adequate contact tracing and testing. Logically, that doesn't make sense because the testing has already shown a player with symptoms or a person with symptoms uh, that test results may not show positive for, for days afterwards. So it doesn't pass a sniff test for me, and there's nothing that makes sense on my end that you can convince me otherwise right now with the information that we have that the FSU was ducking this game.
0: And even if they were, and I'm not saying they were, don't give them an out.
1: Yeah, that too. That too. Dabu's trying to blame it on FSU when they traveled with a player who had symptoms earlier in the week. And they said, oh, he didn't have symptoms the two days leading up and we allowed him to travel. Well, that's on you because he had symptoms. And people are saying, oh, well, you know, if someone has the sniffles, uh, you know, we're just, they're just not going to play. Like, no, it's a pandemic. <laughs> like, 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 we're inheriting risk by playing during this. And that's fine. Like, that's the agreement that these teams have come to. But you have to take extra layers of responsibility. If one party doesn't feel comfortable, that's not you to shame them. No, Dabo. Uh, No, no.
0: The main thing I took exception to in this whole thing is war of words is always going to happen, especially when money's involved. And, you know, the AD comes out and says, if we're going to play again, the cab fare is going to be paid. And then the same idea is echoed by his head coach. None of that surprises me. I expect stuff like that because, one, schools are bleeding money right now, and that's a concern, and two, money is what makes the world go round, especially in college football. My bigger issue is that the ACC is kind of, you know, they issue that half-assed, half-hearted statement that doesn't include a quote on Saturday morning at 8.45 a.m. roughly, and then they kind of, you know, lay down on their pillow and go to bed for two days while this whole thing's transpiring on the Internet. Via news sources, via the head coaches, via the two programs. If you want it to be a forfeit, call it a forfeit. If it's going to be rescheduled, lock it in there for December 12th when both teams have an open date. If you're going to say that it's neater, come out and, you know, I'm not, everybody loves to assign blame. I'm not here for that with this, but if one side is wrong here, Make the point that one side is wrong. If neither side is wrong, then say they're going to play again. And if one side is wrong, it probably just sh- go ahead and make it a forfeit. Who cares? You know, maybe Clemson does because they have championship aspirations, but I, I was going to say Clemson would,
1: would care profoundly about that. Yeah.
0: But it, I just, I find it foolish that the ACC has taken a complete backseat on this and been so non-responsive and I shouldn't be shocked by that because that's what they do. I mean, they didn't know how to navigate the pandemic back in March when it began. They waited for others to cancel basketball tournaments before they made their decision because, well, that's how they operate. You know, John Swofford takes a back seat to people that actually make decisions in college athletics now. So it shouldn't surprise me that that's where the ACC stands. But yeah, I, I just think it's been foolish. I think this whole thing could have been done without, we wouldn't have any of this post, Announcement shenanigans. The ACC would have just made an actual decision with regards to yes, you're going to play again, or no, you're not going to play again. I think it's that simple, and I'm just you know disappointed that the league doesn't do that. Yes, FSU could hold their feet a little bit more to the fire, could make some public statements, but then they're just jumping into the same fray that I think it's foolish ads going on. So yeah, I, I just I had no issue with having Saturday off. Truthfully, it was kind of nice to spend some time with my wife. And then I didn't have to worry about writing about, you know, a seven touchdown loss. I was good with it. But the whole shenanigans thing, I'm just, uh, I find it foolish. And Twittering isn't what I do. So no one's taking that flag and run with it. I'm proud of them. Good for you, brother. I'm just not, I'm not that guy anymore. I don't sit on the Twitter and fire off time after time. I've come to the conclusion in life that certain people have opinions that are going to be stuck on. And I'm not here to change them. I just think it's foolish that the ACC, who should act like the adult in this situation, has decided to just completely disregard the situation.
1: Anything to add to that, Josh?
2: Uh, you guys did a great job with it.
1: Josh is at the, the potentially the most inflammatory mm-hmm. national story that FSU is involved in this season. Certainly oh, is No, not. there's been some others. I but guess I, okay. this week. <laughs> this week, this week, this this second half of the season in New York. I'm, not, gonna saying, sit it I'm not
2: saying I I agree with Dabo, and I certainly don't agree with a lot of the words that he used. But I understand where he's coming from. Okay. I understand. Okay. I understand. If Florida State, listen, I think Brendan, if he had Brendan, I do. Florida State comes off as looking soft here on a national level. On a national, no matter level, what you say, yeah. no matter who defends them, and and. At the end of the day, it just comes back to Florida State would have gotten their you know what handed to them on the football field and they right. found a way to get around it. I said earlier in the season, I don't understand or or wanna try to understand any of these protocols anymore. When Mike Norvell tested positive and there was no no concern over contact tracing, like the head coach of the of the of the team contracted COVID and not one person was held out due to contact tracing.
1: Well, we don't know that, Josh.
2: They See, but I there think was a whole there have, was a whole
1: us. off week. Well, there's no there's a whole I off week. I know there was an off week, but to contact trace. I mean, and to you test. didn't have
2: that same energy to find out why nobody else, why there was no protocols. Like Florida State's head coach tested positive, and uh-huh. not one person was held out to contact tracing. There was not one person. We don't
1: know him. that. Again, there was a whole week of. Oh, I know we, don't, we don't know don't that, know. but
2: we also know what the head coach does day in and day out.
1: Right. Right. I mean, it was we were alarmed that if the, the head coach got it, then who else got it? I mean, that was certainly something that we discussed. We hardly
2: even asked at the, the time. I, I'm I, just I, saying, you, you, I, we don't need to argue tip for town on that. I'm just saying I, there are protocols, but at the end of the day, we're in a pandemic right now, so there's a risk associated with playing, no matter what. But, but right, so but the, if we're about eliminating all risk, we should have
0: said before the season started, "Hey, this is for the good of the kids, and we're going to sit out this season." Well, no, what they should have done is actually set protocols that are hardlined and they didn't. They set things that are kind of ambiguous and allow everything. They, that,
1: they call it a, they call it a minimum standard, which is basically following some of the minimal CDC protocols. Mm-hmm. There were eighteen games
0: postponed or canceled this weekend. And for whatever reason, this one out of eighteen is the one that's getting all the national attention. It's because people are squawking about it and the fact that it happened roughly three hours and 19 minutes before kickoff.
2: But put the shoe on the other foot. If Florida state is rolling and we need this game and we've been beating you know, everybody's ass all season, but we slipped up one. And we might need this game. I mean, the energy, everything would be different from not only Brendan, but the FSU fan. Like I've never seen the FSU fan base this united. They united over COVID. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I've never seen the FSU fan base this united around tweets from Mark Schlebach, Dan Walken. Um, you name it. These guys have been mortal enemies of FSU Twitter for years, not, not like almost a decade. And now you have FSU fans like retweeting them, cheering them on, saying, yeah, these guys are right. It's I, I, whatever's convenient. I'd still hate the
0: aCC though either way, <laughs>
2: well I agree, I mean they're letting this thing they're they're throwing gasoline on the fire by by not getting in the middle of it and and having a voice in it, but I could certainly see where fSU fans would feel a lot different if the team wasn't playing like it is if this if the if the program wasn't in the state that it was it this just it's it's another hit for fSU. There's no way to, I I can't spin this and say that FSU comes out of this looking good as a program on the recruiting trail to the rivals, to other teams in the South. Like there's just, this isn't, this wasn't a good weekend for FSU.
0: Well, I think the spin on that is FSU is going to say player safety comes first. That's going to be the spin. Of course they are. Whether fair or not, that's going to be the spin. And it just – it is what it is. I mean, you know, Wake mm-hmm. Duke got canceled. Miami, Georgia Tech got postponed.
1: And Klausen, and Claussen I believe, was pissed off about that game being canceled. So coaches are going to get pissed off when games are canceled. I, I get it. And, Josh, I get your point. Like, if I were Dabo, I'd be pissed off too. I would have wanted to play the game. To me, though, he's a public figure. There's some semblance of uh, – of etiquette that needs to go into again dealing with the pandemic. This is why maybe football coaches aren't always, especially ones named Dabo, aren't always well equipped. But they are also about,
2: just football coaches.
1: But they're also the highest paid employees in their states, usually Oops, by that. state. Not his
2: fault. He's still just a football coach.
1: I, I don't blame him for taking the money, but there's some level of responsibility uh, publicly that that ideally should go into. I that.
2: agree. I'm not saying I I don't I don't agree with the, some of his words or yeah. some of the things he's saying. That's what pissed me off. I also don't think. FSU can say like Dabo came out and said what he had to say at the end of the day that team would beat you know FSU over a pulp on the football field and they know it and he knows it and everybody knows it there's not really anything FSU can do right now to come back in and, in and, and, and argue you know like Chris kind of said if FSU does come out and say anything it's just going to get well, it's F- going to look like they're dodging. and FSU's I think this been really, FSU's been really quiet,
1: right? Is that surprising, you, Josh, The FSU's been quiet during this, more or less? They had the statement I mean, Mike Norvell out.
2: made a statement. Yeah, that's about it. That's what, about it. I don't think Mike Norvell should come out and make a second statement.
1: I'm, I'm saying, so Dabo came oh, – maybe, yeah, uh, you're right. The FSU may not be in the best interest because, like, you said, there's nothing they could say. But I know that right. some of the fan base – a large segment of the fan base is irritated that, yeah, Dabo coming out swinging last night – uh, you have Clemson's AD has been public multiple times since then. Uh, you're now talking about like, you know, the Packer and Durham show at ACC apparently. I didn't listen to it, but but they're now kind of siding with the Clemson camp and this. And, and so this is, so Clemson basically, even though FSU got out the first press release, Clemson essentially uh, controlled the narrative on Saturday, and now they're controlling it on Sunday leading into Monday morning on this. Uh, Pat-
0: <laughs> There's nothing FSU can say. The, Maybe. PR, the PR firm of Chrisney, which is a subset wing of the Jeff Cameron PR firm, because his has existed far longer. <laughs> it, you have the medical advisory group personnel member from FSU, who was part of the discussion, come out and issue a specific statement. You you reiterate the point that FSU, if they were in the situation that Clemson was in, in the sense of sick player, do we travel them or do we not, that they have not done it with examples shown Which I know they tried to get that message out to some degree, but it wasn't really pushed by the university. That's what you do. You just you push that message and you stay consistent with the reason why we postponed it on Saturday morning, three hours and nineteen minutes before kickoff, is the exact same reason why, you know, here on Monday we still agree with the fact that we postponed it.
1: I had this Long working theory in my mind that like if if Knowles twenty four seven wasn't ever financially viable for all three of us and they need to move someone away, which would which would be me to be like, hey guys, like you need me to help out cover Clemson, like that's a booming market that would help out uh, help Anna out up there. Well, I, I feel like
0: that window may have closed. Yeah, I, I think I burned Just that bridge. You know.
1: so, so that scenario's gone now.
0: So, do they play this game? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm pulling up ad stuff to do a Market Square Liquors read. Uh, do they play this game? So FSU. I kind of is putting out like a bluff here. I don't even know if it's a bluff, but they know that Clemson doesn't want to play the game on December 12th. FSU is basically saying we'll play on December 12th. Like we're, we're cool with that. Are you guys Clemson then is him and Holland over it. Uh, I would bet money to say, no, this game does not get played.
0: Well, you actually have bet money. Did we end up betting it? I don't know. I, I know me and Bob are on the line for 20 bucks each. So.
1: I forget what side you were on, Chris. I can't keep track. I
0: I think they're going to try to play it because at this point, I think the fact that the ACC hasn't come out and called it canceled or forfeited when they could have ended this whole debacle over the last 48 hours leads me to believe they're at least going to, for the short term, say they're going to attempt to play. There are eight teams already playing on that date, if I remember correctly. I think eight ACC teams are playing on on
1: December 12th. Is Notre Dame playing on it?
0: I don't remember offhand.
1: Uh, but I would be,
0: presume that's likely because of the whole USF pause that they had.
1: Uh, okay. So that would be – I think that's the dynamic too. Like Clemson would probably prefer the buy. Now, if Notre Dame's not playing on December 12th, then I can't imagine that Clemson would want to play. Uh, if it's a little bit more of an even playing field for the ACC championship game the next yeah. week, that's what we're talking about.
0: Notre Dame is at wake on Saturday, December 12th as of okay. right now.
1: Damn. What if this game is played? And what if FSU wins? All right, all right. <laughs> uh, We could all use a drink after this week, uh, and what better place to do it than Market Square Liquors? Market Square Liquors is the OG when it comes to high-class, sophisticated liquor stores in Tallahassee. Like it actually exists. Like you go in there, and it's nice and clean, and uh, has a ton of selection, and, and very knowledgeable clerks who can point you in the right direction, and and help hook you up like, Hey, you know what a good bourbon, this is what I like. And they can tell you. And they say, yeah, this is, this is what we got. Or even if you want to dive into like the world of scotch, they actually number their scotches to kind of give you an idea of the peat level and how smoky it's going to be or, or how, how sweet it's going to be. So they're very thorough there. And that's why I like them is because they're, they're able to help you expand your knowledge when you're shopping. You just don't go in blind and they have a pretty cool event coming up here on December 3rd. Oh, that's next Thursday. Is that next Thursday? Holy crap. Uh, Basically, you can go ahead and pre-purchase a bottle of Woodford Reserve Bourbon or Rye, Jack Daniels Single Barrel, which is awesome, Gentleman Jack Whiskey, which is awesome if you're a beginner, or uh, Hurra Dura Tequila. And uh, you go ahead, you get buy those ahead of time, and you can get them engraved for free. So you get a message on there, you get a on-the-bench symbol on there. Whatever you want, you give it for yourself, you give it to a friend. Uh, they're doing bottle engravings. Or if you just you know have a, uh, have a bottle of, of another brand that you want to go ahead and get it engraved, you can bring it in. Uh, coming up pretty soon here. So they they have that going on also. Market Square Liquors, awesome. Love him. Thankful to have him as a sponsor. If you go, let them know we sent you. All right, a few other things before we get to some recruiting items here. Corey Durden is no longer playing this season. He has opted out. Now based on the... Chris, can you pull this up while I'm talking? Is he still on the roster as of Monday morning? He was during the weekend. Uh, He opted out. His tweet was kind of murky as to what his intentions were, but then he tweeted out last night uh, basically saying that he wasn't gonna miss this fan base. He surprisingly did did delete that tweet soon after. I don't anticipate Cory Durden playing another snap for Florida State.
0: He is still on the roster All as right. of as of 834 a.m on Monday, roughly just shy of 48 yeah. hours since the game was postponed.
1: <laughs> All right. So that's one one piece of information. That was not a surprise. I think we kind of hinted, I kind of hinted at that Uh, about a week or two on the podcast. I wouldn't be surprised if if he uh, shut it down for the rest of the season. That's what happened. Uh, Let's see. One other thing. We don't have to get too much into this. Other people have talked about it. Other websites have written about it. We had a full podcast dedicated to having Andrew Adelson and David Hale come on to talk about the steep decline of Florida state football. Uh, I know you guys kind of familiarize yourselves with some of the aspects of that article, and, uh, and obviously listen to the excellent podcast that we put up with Andrea and, and David. Don't shake your head, Chris, don't do that. Hurt my feelings, it was a really good podcast. The one aspect that, and then there's a few things I think you can say, you get nitpicky on when you're talking about a 9,000 word story that was initially 12,000 words and they keep cutting it. And you could probably explain this FSU decline in, in hundreds of thousands of words, uh, to be honest, you could write a book on it. But the dynamic that was interesting to me that, that I thought FSU, uh, whoever the source was at the time, kind of kind of led Andrea and David down the wrong path. And I told that to David that, like, I felt like this person wasn't really shooting you straight here Was someone saying that FSU dedicated two and a half hours a week to recruiting in 2017, even in the final weeks of the Jimbo Fisher era. Oh, we call them bullshit on that, fellas?
0: Correct.
2: Tino Sinceri might have re- recruited for two and a half hours a week or whatever you said it was, but the staff wasn't. We talked to, it it, it didn't take sources. I mean, we were talking to recruits. We were you going guys, down the line yeah, at points that, in late October, early November, checking in with every top target, and we were one after another either hearing that they had not heard from Florida State in six, eight, nine weeks, or they were talking to Tino Sinceri. I mean, we were living it at the time, and we we're you know we we're just reporting that. So we were putting it together. We didn't come up with this opinion based on talking to sources. We came up with this opinion by covering recruiting at the time.
1: It wasn't even an opinion. I mean, right? right? I mean, it was pretty ironclad fact. Uh, now I think you can get into battles of semantics, which is welcome to 2020. People love to get into battles of semantics. Having a two and a half hour staff meeting to talk about recruiting. And actually, following through with an extensive, comprehensive, exhaustive recruiting plan are two very different things. Uh, yeah. Anyone try to convince you that Jimbo had the intention of leaving Florida State in a good place when he was at twenty at the end of his tenure, when they're in the midst of that uh, downward season in twenty seventeen, is lying to you. And I don't I think, think
2: he was sabotaging FSU. I, I think things were just. I think things were just getting away from them. I mean, I, that staff. I think things were. I think the wheels were coming off. I think you had a lot of coaches that without the initiative of Jimbo looking over their shoulder were no longer interested in doing their jobs to the fullest. Um It was just,
0: it was all coming apart.
1: You don't it's, think there was any sabotage? Uh, no, I,
0: I think it was no. bad. I think it was a bad marriage effect. And the bad marriage was him and Andy Miller more than anything else. Um, You know, plenty of others play a role in that Stan Wilcox, for example, but him and Andy Miller hated each other. And if you're in a relationship and, the guy who controls the money and the guy who wants the money hate one another and can't ever come to the same page, same agreement. And there's a go between in this case, it was John Thrasher. And eventually that go between throws his hands up and kind of gives up on the case. Then what happened happens. And that's why that transpired more than any singular thing. There are so many pieces to why FSU had a downfall. And there's a reason you can write a 12,000 word story and hell you can write a lot more than 12,000 words. If you want to really dive real deep, but you know, at the end of the day, Andy Miller, who controlled the money, financials of FSU, and Jimbo Fisher, the head coach who wanted to run it a certain way using those financials, despised one another, and that was a screwed up relationship. And there was not enough adulting going on in the room with the other individuals, the Stan Wilcoxes of the world, who the head coach should not respect at all, and John Thrasher, who the head coach did respect, but eventually kind of threw his arms up in the whole situation. You know. That, that is what led to him walking out of the building one final time.
1: I thought that was the beauty of that article was it could have been said in a lot less words, obviously. But the dysfunction throughout the entire athletic program, throughout the entire university, as it trickled into Florida State football was so deep rooted and so out of control, especially by the end of it. That like look at all the things that even years later these sides can't agree on, and how little responsibility each side takes. And that's when people want to parcel out some of like, oh, this quote wasn't uh, directly, you know, this quote didn't represent this faction correctly, and this quote didn't. That's the reality they were living in, and that no one wanted to take responsibility. I thought that's what the article absolutely nailed.
0: The only positive that's happened since then is that the the structure of boosters and university has changed. It's become yeah. one instead of two. But other than that, not a whole lot has changed, and that's not a good thing. This university desperately needs a real AD, and it has for a long ass time since Dave Hart left the building.
1: And that's not you sideswiping Dave Coburn. You like? No, I uh, like Coburn. Like
0: but Coburn. at the end of the day, Coburn's a financial guy who is here to get the books right, and then hand the baton off to somebody else. He's not going to be able to get the books right. I mean, it's a miserably awful situation that he's been put in. So at this point. And I know they're waiting for the next president to hire the next AD, but damn it, they need a real AD, and they have for a long, long time. I
1: think this past weekend is a good example of where just having an organized, unified voice in line would be helpful, would be beneficial. That doesn't necessarily exist uh, in a highly functional uh, degree right now, and that's problematic. It is going to continue to present issues here and there when you don't have that stability long term, as we saw from that ESPN article. Uh, which again uh, was, was well done and had uh, a hat tip to David and Andrea Adelson. And Jimbo did sabotage FSU. He shit on the facilities on the way out and stopped recruiting. That's saboteur. Saboteur. All right, quick commercial break. A lot of recruiting news to get to on the other side. Stick with us.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates.
1: Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back to On the Bench. Lots and lots of recruiting nuggets and details to dive into. Let's start off with this juicy nugget. This is one that people have been wanting to know about for feels like months. Now it's finally here and I feel like there's not enough fanfare for it. Dequavian Fuller no longer considered part of this recruiting class. Uh, Who wants to take this one?
2: I'll grab it. Um, All right. Lehigh senior three-star linebacker DeQuavian Fuller confirmed with 24/7 Sports Andrew Ivans on Friday that he should no longer be considered an FSU commit. "Quote: Right now, I don't have anything really going on with the whole staff switch at FSU." He went on to say that he's been texting with Pitt a little. Doesn't sound like he's got an offer from Pitt now. Let me explain how DeQuavian Fuller got i got on the commit list to begin with. Uh, This was a desperation move by Willie Taggart and Raymond Woody to keep his brother Quayshawn Fuller committed at the time um, of his recruitment back in, was it 2018, 2019? What, that Fuller committed? Quayshawn
0: signed. Uh, Well, he's in year two here, so he would have been 2019.
2: Right. So DeQuavion Fuller at the time was just a sophomore or going into his sophomore year. Wasn't really sure how he's going to develop. Didn't have a lot of interest at the time, but he was also young. Um, FSU extended the offer. He committed on the spot. I believe it was like within seven to 10 days of signing day. So that shows you it was literally a desperation. Hail Mary to keep Quayshon Fuller committed because he was flirting with Alabama. Now, we were even skeptical at the time if Alabama would have taken Quayshon Fuller, but that's neither here nor there. The staff extended the offer to DeQuavion. He committed. Shortly after that, Willie Taggart and that staff moved on a year later. DeQuavion was still on the commit list. Um, He was inherited by Mike Norvell and this staff. I don't think they had any intentions of getting him off the commit list right away. Um, They probably wanted to see him in person and all that. But due to the pandemic, due to the shutdown, they weren't able to get him on campus. They weren't able to go see him. Um, DeQuavion Fuller didn't really progress the way that I think an FSU program would have liked. He's still a five eleven middle linebacker, and the long and short of it is, this was gonna this was they were gonna part ways one way or another before signing day. I don't think DeQuavion Fuller thought he was gonna sign with Florida State, and the Florida State staff surely didn't think that they were gonna sign DeQuavion Fuller. Um, but now it comes to an end. I don't think there's really anything that we should celebrate here. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, DeQuavion Fuller still gets a scholarship and goes on to the next level in some capacity. Uh, it just won't be at Florida State.
0: And his loss from the class or departure from the class, 15 commitments, it didn't really change anything from a ranking or uh, average standpoint. It was fairly insignificant.
2: Right. And, um, you know, it was a it was a spot. I don't think that the staff feels like is now freed up. Um, I think that they've anticipated this the whole time when they calculated their class numbers. They weren't they weren't counting Fuller as a commitment. So this was kind of just a matter of time type of thing. Um, The fact that Andrew Ivins went down there and and was able to speak to him on Friday kind of put some finality on it. But I don't think there was anything that happened this week that would have removed fuller i mean his contact with the fsu staff has been non-existent for months so and
0: another guy that ivan spoke to while down there at lehigh was fsu four star cornerback commitment on marion cooper um there was a point where cooper thought he would sign in and morally that's not the case any longer this was a quote from i believe friday evening might have been thursday evening published yesterday on sunday You know, I'm signing in February, so you know I'm still open to schools and I'm also still committed to Florida State. So here we are. Not planning to sign early, but things aren't going to open up. We're in a dead period till April 15th, so it is sort of a very weird situation. Michigan's been the main one, kind of kicking the tires. They're making that interesting. There was a point before Michigan played football this year where, if you asked me, I probably would have told you I thought he was flipping there, but then Michigan went out and played football and was quite awful at it too. So, hey, join the club, buddy. Um He's also hearing from Texas, South Carolina, but hey, another coaching staff completely in transition. So shall be interesting what he does. I'm not quite sure. Michigan's always been a main concern in that one. Yeah.
2: Ideally, though, you'd like to have him signed. We're going to see FSU, ever since the early signing period has been invented, it for a lot of schools, it's a time to lock in your top commitments, figure out, you know, just how many spots you have available and in, in finish out your class in February with just a few cherry on top um for state on the other hand has not had that luxury unfortunately and it's just because they don't have leverage i mean if Florida state was a top program right now you'd see all these all the players at the top luke altmeyer hunter washington shambri jackson amari and cooper rod they'd all sign with Fort state in december just to lock their spot in and get it over with however fsu isn't playing good football and hasn't in a while and now you have players like an Amari and Cooper, who's just going to keep things open because he can because he can look around.
1: It's not just and, that, uh, right, Josh? It's also that they've had a head coach transition in two out of the, uh, I guess it was going on year four of the early signing period, but they've.
2: Well, yeah, uh, yeah. The, yeah. And I'm just saying if they staff. were winning in you know, a top program, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have any of that happening. And they'd be having the top part of their class, you know, lock it in by signing, yeah. by the early signing day.
0: Right now, the count that I have is 9 of 15 and 10 to sign early out of mm-hmm. the FSU commitments. Now, one of those Luke, is Luke Altmeyer, the quarterback, who there's concern that old Miss is going to steal him away. But he's an early enrollee, so there's going to be finality to that expected in the December month. Um, But, yeah, 9 of 15 is where it stands. That number probably inflates a little bit. A little. But I I think there's going to be a couple that you have to keep recruiting into January and February, and that's not what you want to be doing. You want to be able to put certain guys to bed and be able to focus on the select few high schoolers you're still pursuing and the portal, which will be exploding at a rapid rate
1: at that point. Josh, you caught up with a guy who I'm very intrigued by. I think the fan base is intrigued by Mm -hmm. because he's a graduate transfer, which – it's always going to be intriguing, I think, to the fan base. It's Drew Estrada, the Dartmouth wide receiver. We were talking about him before, but you got you got quotes, you got quotes and notes. Please share them with the people.
2: Yeah, I finally got up with the six foot, hundred ninety pound Estrada, who's uh, leaving Dartmouth, as you said. Um, he said he told me, "quote I've been in contact with Coach Dillingham and Coach Dugan's for the most part." Uh, he said, "I'm considering FSU and looking to make a decision in early December." Estrada was interesting um, because sometimes you talk to these graduate transfers who haven't really been through the recruiting process and they, they they'll give you a lot more. They'll tip their hand a little bit. And Estrada was very guarded. Um, He just, he, he kept up with the he's considering all of his options. Um, He said, I'm still keeping my options open at the moment. I might try to take some unofficial visits, but it's tough right now with COVID. So you, you ask who are his options? Well, FSU, here's his offers, FSU, Rice, Utah, Western Kentucky, Texas State, SMU, and recently TCU. Um, I think the SMU and TCU offers are interesting. Uh, He's been in the portal since October 10th, and he is originally from Texas, Argyle, Texas. I'm not sure where that is in Texas, but that's his hometown. Um, And a lot of times you do see these graduate transfers move home. Uh, the biggest offer to date when FSU offered was the Knowles, uh, but since then TCU has jumped in the mix. So I think he didn't he didn't tip any you know he didn't give me any tips on where he might end up, but he did say that he'll probably make this decision in about a month. Um, he's going to sign. He's going he wants to make his decision at the early period and get enrolled so he can you know get going for the spring semester at his new school. And I asked him what he's looking for. He said, I'm trying to find the best fit in place where I'm going to get an opportunity to make an immediate impact.
0: Argyle, to my knowledge, is like north of Fort Worth, Dallas area. So SMU, TCU, both in those areas. Interesting.
1: I would be, I guess, tap the brakes a little bit. I'd be giddy if FSU got him. Simply because he elevates the floor of the room. He's really good on special teams. proven Mm -hmm. there as a returner. I think he's exactly what you want when you're trying to flip. Uh, Some of the culture issues and whatnot. You got a guy from Ivy League who's proven production. Uh, I think that just helps you uh, year one or year. I I I guess full receiver room.
2: The wide receiver room definitely needs somebody that plays with a sense of urgency. Yeah, right. Like somebody that wants to go out and make a play. I feel so much of the wide receiver room is just guys looking at each other to make plays.
1: It could be consistent too. I think that's the the big issue right now. Is you can have Warren Thompson make an amazing catch, Mm -hmm. Keyshawn Helton make an amazing catch. Like it exists there. The ability to channel it consistently has not existed outside of uh, Tamori and Terry this season. Even that was only a couple of games with him not fully healthy before he left. So, yeah, someone who can give you a baseline of just giving you an identity, right? Like on third down, be like, okay, this is our slot receiver, third and five. Like we have a a Mm -hmm. realistic expectation that he can get open. It's not insignificant. I know it doesn't change the entire dynamic of the team, but that's the kind of guy you need to start stacking and compounding for Florida State to to turn the corner eventually. Uh, Let's see. J.J. Henry, speaking of wide receiver, top eight for J.J. Henry. Who wants to take this one?
0: I'll grab it. McKinney, Texas, North McKinney. Uh, McKinney North actually is a high school name. FSU makes the top eight along with Arkansas, Louisville, Ole Miss, SMU, TCU, Texas, and Texas A&M. The lone crystal ball at this point is for Baylor. They're not part of that top eight, as you know. With regards to FSU, he's been in regular contact with Dugans for some time. Dugans isn't the only one on the staff he talks to, but that's kind of his main guy from what he's told me in the past. Never visited, won't be able to visit unless he does it on his own dime. A lot of people think he probably stays in state. Um, I know Texas A&M has pushed pretty hard there, but the fact that there's no Chris Ball makes me think there's probably a couple guys stacked on that board, and they're trying to sort through which one is the guy. But he's viewed as largely a slot receiver type, but very electric guy, makes big plays, puts up gaudy stats on a near uh, weekly basis every Friday night out there in Texas.
1: All right, another top list for an FSU target, Josh. I'll throw this one to you. Top five for Raquan Buckley. The uh, is he? He's an offensive tackle for FSU. Right? I know he's a, a two way player. Correct. He's, a, he's
2: a converted defensive end. Some teams still recruit him at DE, but most like him at offensive tackle because he's six foot six and two hundred and eighty pounds. He's out of Wyoming, Michigan, uh, Godwin Heights High School, and he cut his list down to a top five. I wouldn't say there's any surprises here. It consists of Michigan State, Nebraska. Florida State, Cincinnati, and Minnesota. Um, he originally planned to make his commitment October 4th, but he put that back. I think he's going to just do it – oh, it says here December 5th. So he's he's going to make his commitment on December 5th. Ruquan Buckley, though, I think Nebraska is the team to beat. They're one of the teams that was able to get him on campus early uh, before the pandemic hit and had offered him you know, very early. Uh, maybe Michigan State could pull an upset – I think Florida State's on the outside looking in here because they they're the furthest team away. I mean, you look at all the other teams. You got Michigan State, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Nebraska, kind of Midwest-ish schools. Um, Florida State's kind of the outlier there. Although he does have an excellent relationship with Alex Atkins, I think the crystal ball is with Nebraska, and I'd pro- I don't I don't have a pick on him, but I'd probably say Nebraska is the team to beat right now.
0: And the only other uh, recruiting tidbit I got to throw out there, Austin Ute, the offensive lineman who was committed to Holy Cross at FSU recently offered, who's picked up a rash of big offers in the last month, he decommitted from Holy Cross last night. He was committed to them since September. SMU offered in late October that began a role that included Houston, Vanderbilt, USC, Penn State, Florida State, and Georgia Tech. A lot of people think that SMU was kind of the one that put in his mind to decommit. But among the recent offers, USC is probably the one that stands out. So worth keeping an eye on. He's from Dallas, Texas area. He's a 6'4", 270-ish kid, but he's got an extremely long wingspan, pretty athletic feet. He could get away with being an offensive tackle. You know the measurements yell a little bit more offensive guard at you.
1: The last topic recruiting-wise that I was interested to get your two thoughts on, FSU's offered some 2022 tight ends. We don't have to dive into that. That's clearly a position need still for FSU moving forward. Uh, and they want to keep solidifying the depth there. But as it applies to the 2021 class, there haven't been new offers this week at these positions, but it does seem like we're seeing an expansion of the board at both running back and linebacker. Uh, The linebacker that I'm referring to is Jalen Alderman from Valdosta. I believe he's a Louisville commit. He talked about FSU in an article this week. Uh, And then the Cincinnati commit, and the name is uh, escaping escaping me right now at running back. Uh, There seems to be somewhat of – of an expansion of the board there. Do you guys read into that as uh, maybe some of the currently like the plan B, plan C guys, not really panning out for FSU? The Definitely. running back. Yeah.
0: The running back's name is Miles Montgomery. He's from Fletcher high school in Jacksonville or Neptune beach, just outside yeah, yeah. of Jacksonville. Um, he's a Cincinnati commitment. I referenced that FSU needed to look at Cincinnati commitments a couple podcasts ago. This was one of the kids that I was speaking of in that case. FSU's not yet offered Montgomery. They are talking to him. Miami, Virginia, or a couple others talking to him. Uh, He doesn't know if he'll flip. It's one of those things where I think he'd have to get offered and then reevaluate it. But, yeah, they're definitely expanding the board. They're definitely looking for some other options. The Alderman offer I don't think is actually recent. I think that one's existed for a while, um, just gone unreported basically. But I don't expect him to flip away
1: from Louisville as things stand right now alrighty that'll do it for uh, on the bench do we want to talk about Dabo anymore or are we good
0: do you yeah. do you need to so you don't twitter your day away
1: twitter yeah. fingers over there I got I got really heated when I saw him being an ass last night
0: I couldn't tell I only saw 19 messages from you on twitter you have a blue check mark don't you mm-hmm does it make you feel different more like a man
1: I mean I'm a pretty big deal on twitter what can I say cool all right, for Chris D., Josh Newberg, I brought it This has been On the Bench. We'll talk to you later this week. Unless I get fired. Is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. What brings you to
2: the
0: Shy?
1: Opportunity. Everybody get down!
2: Walk
1: right up
2: to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side.
1: Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.